we're all advocates. We're the backbone. We're the backbone of the nation. Show the rest of the world who aren't farmers what it is. What's it, what's it like on a farm? You know, what we do every day. We're feeding the world. It creates a healthy community. So, you know, eat local, buy local, support your local farmers. Welcome back to another episode of The Advocates. In today's episode, Daniel and Wade are joined by Bushel Billy from Western Ohio. Bushel Billy is a professional problem solver when it comes to dealing with customers he works with as a seed salesman. An educator and comedian on social media, Billy values the ag community and the power they have to share the story of those feeding and clothing the world. Billy, how are things today in Western Ohio? Well, uh, tell you the truth, Wade, we're awful busy. Y'all mind calling back in a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Back there. <laughs> uh, no, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Spring has sprung, and uh, and uh, field work has started. So there, there's lots going on. But uh, glad to be chatting with you, gentlemen. Dan, how are things in the Panhandle of Texas? Uh, we're definitely not busy. We've got a 80% chance of rain tonight, and by the looks of the radar, it's going to be a doozy. And so, looking forward to it, actually. So, uh, yeah, things are going good. What about you, Wade? Everything's rocking and rolling here in Central Texas. Billy, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, why don't we start off by tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure thing. Uh grew up and, and currently live in West Central Ohio. Uh, we've got a little family farm uh, that is uh, now three generations along, and uh, went off to school, uh, worked in finance uh, for 10 years or so after that, worked my way into agronomy and seed sales, and uh, that's that's the 32nd version of the last 40-some years. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, Billy, tell us a little bit about growing up. You, you're, you say you started, you, you're part of a third generation farm there. Uh, did you grow up on yeah. the farm? Yeah, we did. Uh, we grew up on the farm. Uh, when Dad graduated college, he was able to buy the farm next to, to Grandpa. And Grandpa started off as a sharecropper right out of high school. Uh, this would be in the early 50s and worked his way up and eventually was able to buy the farm from the three sisters that, that he sharecropped for. And that's that's where we got started, and we, we still farm today. So Dad got into farming in 1975, which was a pretty good start, uh, just before things went south in, in the 80s. And those those are my earliest memories of the farm economy, is, is growing up in the middle 80s where a lot of guys we're going broke and it was tough to make ends meet and uh, then was able to to hang around through saw some good years in the 90s and then uh, about 10 12 years ago when things things really got got rolling good so uh, now things are are getting a little rough again but yeah we grew up raising raising beef cattle corn uh, the whole deal Billy, you, you talk about growing up there on the farm. Was it where you always had the had the mindset that once you once you grew up that you wanted to stay involved in agriculture? Yeah, I did, and I I just wasn't real sure how to go about it. So when I graduated 
I, I didn't think things through really good or really well, I guess you'd say. I went, when I graduated high school, I had 18 head of cattle that I had started accumulated since I was 11 years old. And so I went to school to get an animal science degree and a sports administration degree. And the idea was I would graduate and be an athletic director at the local high school, raise cattle. Well, I sold off half my cattle to pay for the freshman year of college, and then I sold off the other half of cattle to pay for my sophomore year of college. And then I graduated, and I didn't have any cattle to raise. I'd sold them all. <laughs> that didn't work too good. And I got nosing around about athletic director position and figured out after a rural school like ours, that's only a part-time gig and only pay a couple thousand dollars a year. So um, I ended up doing nutrition research for a year on turkey feed and milk replacer for bottle calves, uh, which which was a lot of fun and, and taking care of those animals. And I got a buddy of mine challenged me to get a degree in finance, get my MBA. So that's what I did, and it launched me into a finance career. It worked out pretty good. Gotcha. So you, what led you into, like, <laughs> you kind of just explained, you kind of lost uh, sight of, of your cattle operation there. Uh, what what yeah. led you into coming back into the ag industry? What do you think really kind of got you going? Well, I was able to work uh, in ag lending. My finance career, banking career, was, was all had to do with agriculture, working with full-time operators uh, and larger operations, and, and that was a lot of fun. And, and the way I got cornered into that is I could speak agriculture. And I remember the vice president of the bank coming up to my desk shortly after I started, and he says, do you know what a story stick is? Uh, yeah. And he says, then you're writing all the ag loans because we have no idea what this stuff is. <laughs> so I started working in, in farm loans and uh, built some great relationships with, with farmers that we did business with every year, and, and especially young farmers that were getting started and coach them how, how to grow grow their operation, how to safely do so without getting getting overextended now those guys are nearly 20 years into their farming career operations here in the county and really take a lot of pride in and being there at the beginning and helping those guys get launched and uh after after 10 years of desk work though i was ready to get back out in the field and had an opportunity to to flip over to the agronomy side and work with seed so I jumped all over that because eight hours of being out in the field in the dust was sure a lot better than eight hours behind a desk, you know. Hey, man, I agree to that 100%. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> so you came back uh, to the farm, right? Yeah, so so Dad still runs a farm, and... Uh, you know, we all pitch in and, and make sure it runs. But, uh, yeah, we're still operating and, and putting out a crop. Uh, cattle numbers are, are much fewer now, and, and the hogs are gone. But we're still raising corn and soybeans, and, and life is good. Tell us a little bit about the farm, uh, Billy. I kind of like, I always like to learn a little bit about farms, no matter where they are. 
<laughs> sure. Sure. Well, we got a got a few little mama cows and raising some some fat calves, uh, mainly just to sell to friends and family at the end of it. Uh, mainly with uh, just a split 50-50 rotation between corn and soybeans at this point. And my main role seems just to be keep things going, right? Uh, Dad does a great job running the farm yet, and he really enjoys it. Uh, he's getting up in years, and technology keeps marching on. So uh, typically I'll hit the farm first thing in the morning, make sure everything's ready to go, that things are repaired and put back together and fueled and greased and what, whatever they need so they're ready to hit the fields. And I'll help out as long as I can, and the phone rings, and and I go I go do my regular job that I get paid for and provide agronomic support uh, to my customers throughout the county. And when I finish up there, I head back to the farm and climb in a tractor and and help out till we get it done. So it's it's a nice little operation for us. It's it's truly a family adventure, and we all just just pitch in and keep at it, keep things going. And if I can keep those machines running all day, make sure they got fuel and seed and that they're repaired and everything going, then then I'm happy. I'm always looking forward to a chance to climb in and spend a couple hours of tractor therapy myself. But if I can keep keep them rolling, that's that's my main objective every day. Billy, you mentioned that you you have to leave the farm to go to go to the job that pays the bills, and and I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. Um, how you, you use the word agronomic support? Um, when I think of a seed salesman, that's not the word that comes to mind. Uh, so so tell us about the agronomic support and kind of what you do there with with your employer. Well, when people ask just what it is I do all day. I tell them I solve problems for a living, right? So n- nobody, I get up in the morning, the phone rings because someone's got a problem. And I, I need to get to the farm, get boots in the dirt, and we're going to diagnose it and see what's going on. I, I saw, like I said, I solve problems for a living. The phone rings, someone's got a problem, we get out and, and get boots in the dirt and, and look at it. So, you know, if you want to, you want to tickle your company rep to the ground, have them come out and look at something that's growing really well, something that looks really good, because we never get those calls. You know, I got a lot of happy customers growing beautiful crops, but they never call to share that. It's, it's when things don't go so well that we get the phone call. And it could be anything from trucks and logistics and damage uh, packaging product. It's, it's not growing. It's growing funny. Uh, something's not working those we spend a lot of time diagnosing that so wade you mentioned when you think of a seed salesman uh, it's a guy just pushing a product and what i'll say if you got a if your seed salesman is just asking how many acres of seed you need that year and that this one's done pretty good so you probably ought to try it in my point of view that's that's the wrong conversation to be having with your seed salesman and for me when i sit down with a farmer i want to know how many acres of a specific management zone are you putting out that year how many acres of poorly drained ground how many acres of highly productive how many tough acres and then we're going to specifically place products based on the management challenges you've got coming up that year 
and it's going to be an agronomic conversation that, you know, this this hybrid has got a South American parent. It does really good in heat and drought stress. We're going to put this on the sandy soils. This one has got a lot of top agronomically sound, but we're going to put it on that pristine little patch back behind the shop that your grandfather called hog manure on for 150 years and really, really push and swing for big yields on this one. And so uh, I'm not just going to go out and pitch one or two products because they've done really good somewhere in a test plot. Let's talk about what kind of management challenges you've got and how many acres of those. Then we'll back into what products you're to, to get you covered for the year. So, what 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 does a pitch sound from Bushel Billy to to a farmer? Uh, say, <laughs> say I come to you and say, I've got uh, <clears throat> Billy. I've got three thousand acres of of prime of prime land, and I want to plant corn and beans, and then I want to go to Miami. Uh, <laughs> what would you or how how would you, uh, yes sir that's what i hear most of you guys up north are all about <laughs> at least from from some of the dgens that i've talked to anyway back on topic uh how how would you go about advising someone with that sort of uh question well, if you ever catch me at a field day, I can get to pre. It's just that typical plot sign march, you know, where you stand in front of a field of corn and there's a row of signs, and we go down product to product, and and I can get get whipped up and and start to preaching and and really lay some color in, in on those products that uh, you know. But it, when we when it gets down to brass tacks and, and selecting products for your farm, you know, if you think of the seven most important things that determine yield in corn, for example, number one is what, uh, and we really can't control that, but we got ways to help manage some of the effects of weather. Number two is nitrogen, and we're getting really good at managing our nitrogen, so much better than we were a generation ago. Number three is genetics. Number three, most important thing you can do for your corn yield is putting the right hybrid on the right acre. And so, you know, it's funny. You talk to guys, and every guy's got rough dirt. Every guy's got poor dirt. And it, but <laughs> depending on what neighborhood you're in, it's just how rough or poor it is. And if, if a guy's got a significant geographic footprint, especially here in Ohio where soil types change, uh, every every few hundred feet uh, you got to be real specific about the products you put on that field so like i mentioned earlier uh, so let's let's talk about the types of fields you're going to plant this year and the types of products that we need to excel on those and then let's, we'll walk into your planting rotation your harvest rotation uh, do you have enough storage do you need to go straight to town with it which fields are you going to plant first which fields are you going to plant last and you know that's going to affect our maturity selections and then, then finally, making sure that, that we've got a product that is genetically geared to excel on that specific acre. And so I'm not just selling you the, the three top volume products in my stable because they seem to be pretty good. We're, we're getting down on, on a per acre level, per field level, make sure 
that you know I've got four products that are pretty pretty universal that if you're not paying any attention to what you're doing you can plant these for you ain't gonna really screw them up too bad they'll be just fine but if you're really interested in pushing yield and maximizing each field that you farm then then we're going to take a closer look at, at what is what is a positive about that field what the challenges are on make sure we got the right genetics for it billy do you have farmers up there that that really kind of want to push the envelope and and say like let's let's see how many how many bushels we can get out of this field per acre? Oh yeah, oh mercy! <laughs> we, we got some, we got some boys that are dead graveyard dead serious about this national corn. And it's funny, I've even I've been working communities where there's there's a little re, ag retail shop, and all the farmers show up there seven o'clock every morning. They unlock the door themselves and know where the keys hidden. They unlock the door, walk in, start a pot of coffee, and you can walk in there at 7 o'clock in the morning and you can touch 40,000 acres worth of business. You're just sitting in there having coffee. And they really don't care if they win the state NCGA competition. They just want to beat everybody else in the room. Right? Well, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. They, yeah. They, I mean, they, they love giving each other a rough time. But I've got three customers this year that have hired consultants to chase that three, three fifty, four hundred bushel corn mark to really lay it down after it. And my favorite guys, uh, <laughs> my favorite guys are are loyal to another brand, but they'll call me and say, "Bags of your seed," just because I I want to put that in the NCGA and try to win it. <laughs> like, well, why don't you bring me the whole farm? Oh, well, no, I don't. I want people. No, I, I'm going to stay loyal to this over here, but I just want. I need 12 bags from you so I can put it in the NCGA. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, we're going to give it a run. We'll have some fun with it. That makes sense. I like it. So, you've got plenty of customers. So, what all seed brands do you sell there, Billy? Uh, the cow corn and Nasgrove soybeans. Decab? Decalb. Gotcha. Decab. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll text you the pronunciation, but it's decalb. Okay, well, decalb sounds good. We plant the same stuff. Uh, it might not be corn, though. So, Billy, Monsanto and decalb, agronomic support. You're basically uh, helping farmers figure out problems about whatever problem they have pretty much is that what you're saying yeah yeah the goal is to be a trusted advisor on the farm or we're, mm -hmm. i'm not just selling you a product but you know every what i've come to understand i work with 400 some farmers and i know dan i know you go down to to the co-op or you go down to the feed store the livestock auction equipment auction farm bureau meeting wherever there is a group of farmers and that you know whenever there's farmers they're going to talk about farming right and so the conversation will lead to well i tried this and man it's great boy it just it just poured out the bushels i'm going to take the whole farm that way and then the guy across the table says well i tried that and it was a complete waste of money it was absolutely terrible and my my theory and if we can philosophize a little bit and we're going to philosophizing with bushel billy here uh, my theory <laughs> is 
<laughs> your your farm is its own ecological system. All right. By virtue of your management practices of how you handle that farm, even if you pick up a new piece of land and you roll it in to how you manage your farm, it becomes its own ecological system. And when you start plugging products in ad hoc without taking in consideration the entire the entire cropping system, they'll hit and and they'll miss, right? Because application timing, uh, application rates, tillage, not tillage, uh, your fertilizer programs, your herbicide programs, all that stuff is inter intertwined in a system. And so when, you know, Jake the snake oil salesman comes sliding in the barnyard with a jug of something to try, it'll work great for this fella and it'll be a flop for the other one because it's all within the context of how they manage their farm and those acres, right? And right. so if you want to do a really good job uh, working with those guys and bring uh, earn, earn some loyalty and some respect. You got to take the time to understand their complete operation, and and then know your product well enough of how it fits into those different management styles. Because my my no tiller, I'm making different recommendations to him than my conventional tiller. My guy with nitrogen all up front with anhydrous, I'm making different recommendations to him than the guy that's side dressing 28. And if you don't understand the nuances of, of their management systems, you run the risk of uh, placing a product where it's not going to perform well. And and then that business is not coming back. They're going to go look for something else, right? So how do you keep track of each different farm's uh, operations and, and field and, and, and fertilizing applications and everything else that goes in with that? <laughs> Ask lots of questions. Ask lots of questions, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's funny. It, it sticks with you. you if you sit down and have a conversation with the guy, and, and you're just not out there in November trying to collect the check, right? You're out there year round, and so you start to learn these farms as if they're your own, and you learn the field names. And a lot of guys were connected on digital platforms, and they're sharing planting data, spraying data, harvest data with me. They're calling me, asking my opinions on things. So you, you get to learn the farm names. You get to learn how they operate. And, you know, whenever I meet that uh, a new customer for the first time, I've shoot, I've been going in the farm gate for 15 years. And I'm always shocked when I meet a farmer in the area I haven't met before. But occasionally I do. First meeting, I'm asking questions. I'm not telling you anything. I'm not pitching you anything. I'm just trying to learn and taking notes. And in my phone, I've got notes jotted down uh, next under each farmer I've got in the contact book. And so, you know, we're going to sit down. I want to learn how you do it, how you manage me. And I've got a list of a dozen questions I'd like to run through that, that put me in the right direction. And then, you know, it's being there when it's going in the ground, being there when it's coming up and when, when it's being harvested. And you figure out what works for the guy and, and what doesn't. So it, it's surprisingly easy to remember because if if you're that immersed in the operation, you, you really start to learn it as if it, it was your own. So we've kind of talked about soil differences, and you kind of mentioned every 100 yards it seemed like it changes. That's, that's pretty strange compared to old panhandle farmers like me, but uh, farming is different from state to state. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> That's for sure. 
And one thing social media has done is, is points out just how vastly different uh, you, you farm state to state. You know, even in a, in a small geography, if I had an hour south and you look at the soil maps down there, it looks like grandma's quilt. I mean, there's, there's a dozen soil types out there all patched together. Yeah, I moved north from here, and it, it flattens out, and we get into some glacial effect uh, farm ground. And it, writing vertebrae scripts up there is boring because there's only two soil types in a 200-acre section, right, and maybe three degrees difference in elevation. So uh, even in a small geography, there's a lot of difference. But being able to interact with guys from Minnesota, South Dakota, uh, the I-States, and even down there in, in Texas, uh, is vastly different on how to farm and you know years ago i had an attorney uh, friend call me and said i've got an opportunity for you to farm three thousand acres in north and south carolina and his buddies were a bunch of surgeons in new york city that had bought a bunch of farms in the carolinas totaling over three thousand acres so me and a buddy we jump in the truck and we run down there and said man we're gonna be big time operators there's 3,000 acres for grabs up here. And we start talking with the old boys at the coffee shops and at the co-ops, and, you know, we're kind of trying to learn the neighborhood and what we're getting into. And and we visit the farms. We talk to the neighbors. And on the drive home, my buddy looks at me and says, what do you think? I said, I don't think we know how to farm in South Carolina. And he says, I don't think so either. Because when you're talking to the guys that were farming down there and the neighbors, it just didn't line up. It didn't line up to how we farm in Ohio. I thought, this is a great way for us to go down there and invest in 3,000 acres of cropland and absolutely lose our shirts. Because it, we could tell just by interviewing the guys down there that we had no idea how to raise a crop that far south. So, you know, we passed on, on the deal. Uh, but... It's it just an illustration of if, if you run into a neighborhood and think you've got it figured out, you're setting yourself up for a problem. Uh-huh. Billy, you mentioned you mentioned social media, and of course that's how that's how Dan and I came in contact with each other. That's how we come in contact with most of our guests. Um, when did when did Bushel Billy make his debut on 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 ag social media? Oh shoot. Uh, 2017? 2017. Uh, um, after the last presidential election, I deleted all social media. Because it, it got loud and ugly. <laughs> I was tired of arguing with people. I just, I just deleted it off. And, and really, um, I kept receiving encouragement that, that agriculture needs to be out there to tell their story. And agriculture needs to have an answer for some of the the anti-agriculture movement that's on social media. So I had never tried Instagram before, and um, my wife and I came up with a handle, and and we we launched it. Uh, I think it was April of 2017. Well, and, uh, take... go ahead. Uh, boy, it, it turned into more than I ever thought it would be. So that it's funny. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know that as well as anybody, Dan. But uh, it's funny. Uh, farmers can't help but talk 
to other farmers about I mentioned that earlier. And uh, the conversations that our grandfathers had at the coffee shops or the co-ops or the livestock auction or wherever, we're, we're having those online now. And, you know, this is called the AgloKit podcast. Well, so many people, I, I went on the social media to tell agriculture story. Well, what we found is the need in ourselves to have those conversations with other producers that our grandfathers used to have, uh, you know, in, in our local communities that, that don't happen as much now. So I think the challenge for for farmers and agriculturalists on social media is we've done a great job of networking with each other and, and talking about farming with people that are interested in farming. And I like talking to the guys in other states because it's a cool way of doing it, and I'm learning how they do it differently than how we do it here. But what I would like to challenge, you know, fellas like yourself and other social media personalities is how do we get people interested in agriculture that currently don't have any interest in it at all? Yeah. And and pe- people that are subject to a a smear campaign or misinformation about food production and people that are so disconnected from the farm and really not interested in it until uh, some clickbait from uh, some misinformation campaign catches their attention. How, how do we get people interested in, in food production and farming and where their food comes from that, that currently aren't interested? How do we reach out and grab them? And I think that's that's our challenge now. We've got this tremendous network of content creators and personalities and and advocates for the industry. Now it's how do we go to that next step and grab a, grab a segment of people that really haven't considered where their food comes from? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you propose on doing that, Billy? I mean, we've got we've got YouTube, we've got Twitter. I mean, there's so many different social media platforms, and I mean, I can think off the top of my head at least five or six big major social media accounts. But when you consider the the overall population of America uh, contrasted to uh, subscribers or followers, I mean, it seems like we're barely making a dent. Uh, what's right. your What's your opinion on that? I don't have a lot of answers, but I'm I'm certainly interested in having the conversation. And we got enough creative minds in this thing now that we can we can get some people around it and throw some ideas out and solve this critter. You know, one thing that I've done in the past is I I watch some big accounts that are not related to agriculture, and people that have uh, two, three, five million followers. And they, they're making a living just selling merchandise to their followers on social media. That's that's their entire business model. And so I try not to look at them as a fan of their page, but try to look at them and dissect how are they getting people to interact with their page? How are they bringing people? How the world did they get to 2 million followers, 3, 4 million followers? And then really celebrities, but people people that have organically grown their social media accounts without the help of television or movie exposure, right? And I think we can learn a lot from studying those accounts that aren't necessarily related to agriculture, that how are they reaching out and, and grabbing somebody's attention? How do they get people to interact with their page? 
to, to share their pages and follow. And uh, just going to take a little bit of study and creative thought of how we can take those methodologies, apply them to agriculture, and start start to grab people's attention that uh, have been removed from the farm for several generations now. Is that the answer you were expecting, Dan? Because he just blew my mind. <laughs> um, well, I know Billy is a, a very, he's almost, I'd say he's a genius if you ask me. I, I really think you're a, you're one of the smarter guys on social media platform, and there's there's plenty of them out there, Billy, but man, you, you've got you've got quite the uh, intelligence when it comes to just about anything I've ever talked to you about. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's I'm still a pretty good salesman. Snake <laughs> oil. That's all it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sales job. Yep. Billy, if you if you scroll through your your Instagram page, it's there's a lot of educational stuff there, but you've also got a little bit of a, a bit of comic relief. Um, when you started the the bushel Billy bushel Billy brand is what I'll call it because that's what it is. Um, was <laughs> that was that always your plan to kind of to educate, but also to to give people a laugh every now and then also. Yeah, yeah. Um, I catch a lot of heartburn from my kids that my dad jokes really aren't that funny and I ought to quit. But it, <laughs> it seems... <laughs> so, you know, I run them past that first and they laugh at it, then I can put it on social media. If they just roll their eyes and go, gee whiz, Dad, then, then those don't, don't make the page. But uh, the first goal was to, to try to get across some some education on how advanced farming is and how complicated it is and and these these ecological systems that we talked about earlier and just all the different decisions you have to make before you even put the seed in the ground and try to bring some light on the complexity of what it is to to produce food and to raise a crop and and have a good harvest but you know life sure we have had have a good time uh, you think about some of your favorite professors in school and the guys that are all serious business, you might have learned something, but you really didn't have a whole lot of fun. So uh, I've never really considered myself a comic, but I'm not not afraid to fool around. Uh, I had a I took a class in college called Oral Interpretations. And it was a fancy way of saying reading poetry, okay? And the the professor was was eighty years old, little white haired fellow that had been an actor, on um, on stage his entire life, and so this this was supposed to be a type of public speaking class, and he very first lecture he walked in and he stood and leaned on the podium and he said, the key to being a successful public speaker is you have to be willing to make a complete and total ass of yourself on stage. <laughs> I and, like that. And I've, I've never forgot that, that, it, that is, there's no reason to get, get up tight and nervous. If you're willing to get up in front of a crowd of people, which I do on a regular basis anymore, and just be a goof and try to get the mood relaxed and to get a chuckle maybe or a laugh and uh, that, that what makes you a good public speaker is is to not have any fear about screwing up or getting laughed at, but embrace it. And I think it engages your audience than if it's just more sterile, scientific. To make it relatable, make it fun. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. 
So maybe instead of bushel belly, it should be poem belly. What do you think? <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> no. I do I mean, not I know mean, enough words in the English language to rhyme. That may well, make it even better. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how these poems go anymore. Not that I read them uh, or anything, just uh, from word of mouth. <clears throat> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> so, you you make a great case for for being just comical. Uh, I enjoy watching your videos, your your stories. They're fun, and most any time we talk together on the social media platform, it just seems like, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> it just seems like you're you're a pretty good natured fella, and uh, I I would hope that your kids would laugh at everything you say because man, it's gold. That's what I have to say. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. Not a problem. Billy, it's it's no secret the world's kind of down in the dumps right now. Um, lots of negativity out there in the world, uh, on the on the interwebs. Um, tell us tell us about the, the No I Am Beer collaboration that you put together and, and how that brainchild was born. Boy, it's not a really interesting story. It just was a knee-jerk deal. <laughs> so... Uh, my wife and I were sitting on the couch waiting for the kids to fall asleep. We just put the kids to bed, and we're just kind of sitting out making sure that they fall asleep. And she opened her Facebook page, and on the Wednesday night, Brad Paisley had just released the song, There Is No I Am Beer, on Facebook, with the instructions to share it and have fun with it. And find ways to reach out, connect somebody, enjoy yourself during the whole quarantine deal. So I flipped up my phone and, and sent a group uh, message out to, to some of the influencers in the industry and sent them the video and the challenge that Brad had put out. And you know, Michelle from AgMag, who you all talked to, she jumped all over it and offered to help. And so we all decided that we'd slide beers to one another and send a short clip down to Michelle, and she stitched them together and it turned out really well and it didn't take a whole lot of work or coordination everybody uh, liked the idea and jumped on it and and it's quickly becoming one of the most viewed videos on my my page anyways i don't i don't know, i don't remember where i saw it but it it gave me a good chuckle it was a <laughs> kudos to you and your wife for putting that together oh thank you that big yellow hat i was in an airport and this couple run up to me in the security line and said, you're Bushel Billy. And I was like, yeah? They was like, well, we just, we just got to give you this hat because we think it'd be really funny in one of your videos. We just got to give you this hat. <laughs> so, who, who carries that at the airport? Just like, just hanging it like, oh, yeah, this is my carry-on, this giant yellow hat. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and at first, I was really flattered. I was like, wow, they recognize me. And they give me this hat. And then I thought, well, no, they just didn't want to get it through security. <laughs> now it's my job to get it through security. So I'm still not sure if those there's fans are just trying to get rid of that, that big stupid hat before they had to go through the, the scanner. But <laughs> I, I probably, probably a little bit of wearing the video. Yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned early on that you taught you taught some ag finance. Maybe this is all fair that we talked about this. So you uh you taught some ag finance, you taught some ag eco. Um, Dan, we we have a 
a, a question we ask everybody, and we're going to kind of spin it off on you um, a different way. Um, coming mm-hmm. from an ag finance background, um, there's lots of debt in the in the ag industry. Um, in your opinion, is there a difference in good bet, good debt and bad debt that, that those in ag take out? Absolutely. Now, when I started in finance, was was highly detailed and way down in the weeds uh, when when looking at a credit application. And I'd walk into my boss with all these questions. And finally, he looked at me one day and said, "Listen, there's only two things you need to know about lending money." He says, "Work with good people and don't do anything stupid." As long as you do those two things, you're going to be just fine. And and I kind of took that to heart. And my approach to lending and, and putting money out was if, if someone was coachable and someone could listen, then that's someone I was willing to take a risk on and, and lean in and be and represent to the board and, and, and really push to get them what they needed. And, you know, applying for a loan shouldn't be a mystery to you. It it should be like applying for a job. If you apply for a job, you read the job description and you you should pull two or or three things that they're looking for out of that job description. And that's what you want to highlight on your resume and highlight in your interview. Well, credit application is no different. You need to understand what that lender is looking for in an application so you can communicate it. And, and lenders approach it differently. They all have different appetite for risk and weigh things differently. So it's a matter of sitting down with your lender and saying, what do I look like to you guys? When, when you look at all these numbers, what does it tell you about my operations? That you can present yourself in the best light. So... So the relationships and, and the operations I really grew with and really had success with were those folks that would sit down and, and were coachable and were curious to learn learn how the system worked, curious to learn how a bank looked at your farm. And and it was, was a very cooperative that um, these, these are what we're looking for. This is your strength. This is your weakness. We can... As income comes in on the farm, we can help balance this out a little bit. The people that wouldn't listen, uh, one, it was a struggle, and and sometimes tempers were lost and bad words were said. uh, Because, you know, borrowing money is really emotional. Finance your farm is really emotional. And and if they didn't take time to to learn and understand, um, boy, it, it, it boiled in a hurry. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, cash is king, and right now there's not a whole lot of cash, <laughs> cash in farming. Um, but one thing you're looking at is is that when when revenues drop, the payments stay the same, right? The payments they still due. And so how, how have you chose to, to finance your operation and what, what type of debt you buy and the payments that are associated with that have a huge impact on your ability to be successful? And And things are so tough now that, there are banks, uh, and this is not just Ohio. I've talked to guys all across the Corn Belt, and where banks are telling guys how many acres of corn they're allowed to plant, because you know production of corn is so much more expensive than soybeans. So essentially, the bank saying, "I'm only giving you this much money. 
and to make that pile of money spread over all your acres, that means you can only plant this many acres of corn and the rest has got to go to soybeans. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where we don't want to be, right? We don't want the bank telling us what what we need to be, be growing to stay afloat. Uh, that is just so important to understand how the bank looks at you, what financial health means for your operation, and make sure your debt is structured in such a way that that you've got some risk-bearing ability, that you've got the ability to, to tolerate this downturn in the market and and not be saddled with a payment that, that'll just dump you underwater when we lose a dollar on a bushel of corn or, or 3 or $4 off the bushel of beans, you know. Looking looking back, you know, you're you're in your late 20s by now, I'd assume. Uh, what <laughs> what would you tell <laughs> what would you tell your your 15 year old self uh, if you if you could go back? Uh, a great question. It feels like a job interview. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so, like I said. I can remember the very, very stressful conversations as a kid that happened at the kitchen table about, about farm financing in the 80s, or just, just the financial health of farm in the 80s, and which really did not give me the best outlook for the future of agriculture. And man, if I could go back and place hands on that 15-year-old boy, I'd tell him two things. One, agriculture has got a tremendously bright future that you, you will not believe the innovation and the technologies that are going to happen between 1992 and 2020. That the uh, future in ag is going to be better than, than you ever dreamed it would be. And the second thing I tell him is, is to have a vision and, and not just not just a goal to chase or something to achieve or something to check off, but, but have a vision for your life. You know, Scripture says, without vision, my people perish. And and really, really hone in. I spent, you know, a lot of my, even 20s when I started in my career, I didn't necessarily have a vision for where I wanted my career to go. I had just got a job, and my goal was to be the best at that job that I could and to get the next raise, get the next promotion, hit the next benchmark, you know, in a lot of ways, I was still trying out for the varsity team. Uh, I was hired in on the junior varsity team, and my goal was to make the varsity team. But it didn't, and I had a lot of success, and and it worked out really well, but I didn't really have an overall vision and the direction on where I was headed. So I think that'd be the biggest thing, uh, to tell myself or any young person to, to have a vision for where where you want your life's arc to head and, and chase it relentlessly. Just go for it. Some pretty good advice there. Um, Billy, at this, at this point in the show, we like to, like to kind of switch gears, um, lighten things up a bit. We've got some rapid-fire questions for you. Um, we've got four questions for you. Uh, we ask that you don't think too much about them, um, but just tell us, tell us your answer, the, <laughs> your, your honest answer, the first thing that comes to mind. Um, Dan, you want to ask right, the first I'm question? I'm buckled in and ready. Here we go. <laughs> Do I get do okay, I get a sorry. buzzer? Do uh, I get a buzzer to hit her? And, and, no. <laughs> game show. Well, uh, we definitely aren't giving any way any money though, so no. hope you don't. Don't don't be looking for a check in the mail. <laughs> so that going. All right. Being a snake oil salesman or or seed so, seed salesman, either way. Uh, how many times have you come across 
a difficult farmer that says one way and you know that for a fact that it should be the other way or come back let me say that you feel like it would be better a different way excuse me well if you want this to be rapid fire you got to ask them faster dan <laughs> okay being a snake oil salesman how many times do you come across different farmers <laughs> come across a difficult farmer have you ever met another farmer Walk down a cornfield, trip over one. No, everyone's got got their own way of doing it, and and especially when when margins get tight and things get tough, boy, they get entrenched in what what they're doing. And you, it's the art of the soft sell, and you got to get to a place where that guy where where he he appreciates your humility, but also respects your opinion. And I'm not telling anybody how to farm. I'll give you my opinion. I'll I'll cite my experiences. I'll tell you what I've seen in the field. But at the end of the day, it's your checkbook, son. And you're going to pay the bill, and it's, it's going to be yours to harvest. But, yeah, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, farmers uh, don't change easily. They'll, they dig in like a dog dick. Billy, next question. Uh, what is your favorite restaurant within, let's say, 25 miles of your house? Favorite restaurant within 25 miles of the house would probably be the Precinct Steakhouse. They've got a they got a steak there called the Hatchet, and it is a prime rib still on the rib bone. Uh, it comes out on on a plate with a, a 20 inch rib bone on it, and oh man, that that with some garlic mashed potatoes that make your tongue slap your eyeballs out. That's good stuff right there. <laughs> now that we're all hungry, I love Dan. the. Uh, Euphemisms. Now I'm hungry too. <laughs> so, how do you pronounce the company that you work for? We've already talked on this, but I had to reiterate, uh, or excuse me, the the seed company. Uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. Just so we can spread the word to some other dumb Texans around here that may not know how to say it. Well, the name on my paycheck is Buyer. And the mm-hmm. logo on my T-shirt is DeKalb. Mm-hmm. DeKalb. DeKalb. So you, you, you put out you put out that B at the end of the of the word, huh? It's not silent. Well, it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. Well, there's a P in uh, psychiatric too, but I don't say that. Well, there's a there's a P in pneumonia and a K in knife, so you don't pronounce those either. <laughs> No, I don't think we pronounce those here. Checkmate. <laughs> no, it's, it's decaled. All right, we got that down. <laughs> last, last of the rapid fire questions for you. You've you've been in the the corn seed game for a while now. What is your favorite variety ever? 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 I uh, uh, always like the new ones. Uh, we got we got some we got some back tags up hanging in the Hall of Fame, but. Right now, the the hottest number for DeKalb is sixty three fifty seven, and we're currently forecasting over a half million acres of that single uh, hybrid in two thousand twenty one. Sixty three fifty seven. That that's goose proof. You can sell it to a complete bonehead, and you can't really screw it up. You just put it in the ground, and let it go. Was that a shot at Dan? Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Well, I'm, I'm gonna have. <laughs> well, it don't fit. Okay, so <laughs> I'm feeling targeted here. <laughs> I'm gonna move back, Wade. I just thought of a great question that I've never even thought to ask, and maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Billy will have the answer. Go ahead, Billy. You sell you sell quite a bit of seed. Uh, what do the numbers mean on your on your different varieties like here at the farm we plant decal 3707 and that's a great milo variety uh, and i'm sure people might think this is common knowledge but i have no idea what the numbers mean is that just straight up <laughs> way to identify things or is there another meaning behind it it is completely different for a brand there, there's nothing standard for the decal corn the first two numbers plus 50 will give you the relative maturity. And the last two numbers are, are just uh, an identification digit. So 6357 uh, would be 113 day corn, and, and then 57 is its name. Uh, 63 plus 50 would be the maturity. Now, on our soybeans, the first two numbers are the maturity. So probably the most famous soybean we ever sold was 3832. And so the first two numbers, 38, would be a 3.8 soybean. Now, the third number is the genetic trait. So if it was a 2, 3822 would be a Roundup 1 soybean. 35 or 3852 would be a conventional soybean. 3832 would be a Roundup 2 soybean. And the last digit is the year it was launched. So 3832 is a 3.8 Roundup 2 soybean launched in 2012. And it's currently been replaced by 38X8, which is a 3.8 extend bean that was launched in 2018 so there there is a method to the madness mm -hmm. uh, that makes sense but it doesn't okay, it, move it, it, back it really doesn't make way. sense it's just <laughs> you gotta know how to, you gotta know how to speak <laughs> well, the language <laughs> you have to replay that and take notes <laughs> yeah, <I'll, laughs> yeah my notepad got all scribbled there Billy, as we as we wrap things up here, uh, tell the folks where they can find you on social media. Uh, I think it's pretty consistent across the Instagram, through Facebook, YouTube world is uh, at Bushel Billy. So it, it all goes down on Instagram, though. the The rest of them, I try to remember to stay involved in. But uh, if you if you want to follow along, it goes down on Instagram at Bushel Billy. We'll, we'll we'll have those links down in the show notes below. Dan, close it out for us. Billy, I've, I feel like I've learned a lot. Uh, I feel like I know you on a personal level, even though I've never had the opportunity to meet you, which hopefully that'll change someday. But uh, would you mind leaving our listeners with some final thoughts uh, of just things going on right now with, with markets? I mean, I looked at the markets around 10 o'clock this morning, and Ever since then, it's been a bad day. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you, you seem to have a comedic level to yourselves. Maybe maybe some uplifting thoughts uh, to lead out with. Some uplifting thoughts, huh? Yeah, I'm asking for it. 
Uh, corn just went blue, below three dollars, and you want me to change everybody's mood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so hey, hey, farmers are resilient, right? We've been through this before. Um, if if you go back through uh, through history, my grandfathers were were kids during the Great Depression, where they they had to sell all the butter that they produced um, uh, for cash, so they had had cash money, so they would eat lard on their toast in the morning. Uh, pig lard wow. and then you know we went through some high times uh, in between and then right when my dad's generation job dropped in you couldn't do anything wrong and that was before real estate prices dropped in half interest rates quadrupled and a lot of guys went broke then too and we've seen livestock prices jump and crash all all through the 90s and you know we we started off this century uh, with a real good era in farming and overall, we're in good shape. We've got more equity and more net worth built in these farms than, than ever in history. We've got more production potential and do a better job farming than ever in history. So it, it's really, really easy to look at the immediate markets and conditions around you and get depressed. But um, if, if you're feeling uptight about how things are going, sit down and write up a plan get moving just do the next best thing and and get it on paper get a plan out know what know where your target is you can't go kill goliath if you don't know where he's standing so have a plan don't don't be farming on a gut feeling and and try to do it by the seat of your pants because we don't have those kind of margins anymore um get get it wrote out get it penciled out and know where you're going and what, what you have to do be talking to your lenders be talking to your family and, and, and make sure that conversation's going and then and we'll make it through just like the generations before us did. Um, you know, scripture says, I got a, a great many plans for you, none to do you harm, but, uh, but plans to see you successful and prosper. So, um, just put your shoulder to it, plan it out, put your shoulder to it and get it done. And we'll come out of this thing on top. I'm sure of it. Right on. I sure hope so. Uh, wow. Billy, I want to thank you for coming on our show. Uh, learned a lot from you and uh, continue to, to learn from you as, as days go on. You know, it's, it's always interesting to have the connections over social media uh, and get to know people that just aren't in your, in your county, so to speak. And so I want to thank you for, for coming on the show. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Billy, uh, Echo Dan's thoughts. Thanks for coming on. Dan, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Advocates. Be sure and check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to see who we'll feature next. On behalf of Dan, I'm Wade. We'll see you next time.